How are we doing tonight, high school? That's the response I like to hear. Guys, we're talking about the GOAT. And in honor of the GOAT, I want you to say, bah, bah. Thank you. You guys did a pretty good response. Middle school went crazy over that. I know GOATs might not bah, but it's, it's close enough, right? Well, hey, guys, my name is James Ricker, and I am your middle, high school coordinator here at Mount Horeb. And I'm so excited to share with you tonight what I believe God has put on my heart um, and to talk about. So does anyone know why we're doing this series called The Greatest of All Time? Partially to talk about and give reverence to number 12, the greatest QB of all time, Tom Brady. Anybody with me? Aiden's with me in the front. No, <laughs> Or LeBron James, honestly. I think he's going to pass Michael Jordan. Um, but that's partially why we're talking about the GOAT. But mostly the reason why we're taking a look at that in this series is because we're looking at some amazing people and some amazing stories of how God used certain people back in the old days, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, how God used certain people in their stories to save his people as a whole. And it's crazy because it's all pointing towards, and it's a shadow, to the ultimate Savior to come, the greatest of all time. But I'll let Anna speak more on that um, with you next week. Tonight, we're looking at a guy who's probably the same age as most of you in this room. You've probably heard of him. His name is David. And you probably heard of David's story. He was chosen by a prophet. He uh, slayed a giant named Goliath. And then David eventually became king of Israel. But I want us to take a closer look into David's story and, and what that has to do with us and how it points to Jesus. But before we can meet David in our story, we need to go and take a step backwards. Like any good movie, there's a backstory and there's drama that happens um, before. And so we start out with this guy named Samuel. Now Samuel wasn't just any dude. Samuel was what we call a prophet. And a prophet, by definition, was somebody who hears God and receives a word from God and then spreads it among his people. And so Samuel is this prophet, and uh, he relays this message to other people. It's kind of like, hopefully not any of you in here are like this now, but when we were younger, like probably elementary school, I know for me, when I wanted to ask a girl out, was I actually going to go talk to her in person? No, I was going to have a messenger go and speak to her for me. So like in kindergarten, you're like, you get your best friend, you're like, yo, Tyler, get over here. And then you're like, hey, I need you to go ask that honey out and then come back. Yeah, that's what it was like. And that's what it's like being a prophet, God speaking through another person to get the point across. Okay? And so we open up and Samuel, God had just used Samuel to anoint a king for Israel, Israel's first king, who is King Saul. And I can tell you, long story short about Saul, is that Saul disobeyed God and wasn't after God's heart, and so God wasn't pleased. And so we open up this story with God going, I need a king who's going to look after my heart. And I think we all know who that's going to be. But let's open up. Our, so our first tonight is going to be in two parts. Um, it's going to be part one. is titled, The Lord Looks on the Heart. Okay, and that's what we're going to talk about first. We open up to our first scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 1. All right. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Like I just said, Saul wasn't after God's heart. God wasn't pleased, and so it was now time to anoint a new one. Samuel's laying on his couch with a Snuggie, binge-watching Netflix, and eating a tub of ice cream because he's super upset because God just used him, and now he's like, I need you to, I need you to go do this again. 
Samuel responds to God in fear, naturally. Samuel says, if I go anoint a new king, I just anointed Saul to be king, this guy Saul is going to have me killed because kings don't like when there's another king. But God insists and he gives him some instructions. And so he says, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to this little town called Bethlehem, which you guys have probably heard of Bethlehem, right? Somebody super famous is from Bethlehem. And you need to go to this dude's house named Jesse, and I will show you who the new king, the one that will be after my heart, will be, okay? Now, this guy, Jesse, we can call him Uncle Jesse because he had a full house. <laughs> that, was, that was all right, right? Okay, so he, Uncle Jesse, he had eight sons, so you know that guy never had to do any chores or cut the grass or anything. That dude was lucky. You know what I'm talking about, Miss Connie. And so Jesse has all these sons, and Samuel goes, all right, I'm going to go. So Sammy obeys God, and he goes to Jesse's house where God is going to show him who the new king is going to be. Now, this is a big deal. Let me remind you, a prophet is not an everyday person. So Samuel is absolutely ultra well-known, super famous. And so when Samuel comes into town, right, he comes into Bethlehem, everybody is going to know about it. All right, and that's what we need to know as we move forward. So we pick back up in verse 6, all right. You can read it up on the screen or in your Bible. And it says this, when they came, meaning the brothers, all of his sons, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. So Eliab was one of the older, bigger, stronger brothers. He had the most Instagram followers. He had all the flex. He was actually a warrior in Israel's army. And Samuel looked at him just on face value and said, this guy's got to be king because he's super big and he's super strong. He looks the part. But God wanted to show Samuel and he wanted to show all of us in here tonight that he was different than man, that God works differently than the way we do. Here's where the money is in verse 7 of chapter 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And can I say tonight, I'm so glad that we have a God that doesn't look at us the way that we look at each other. Like this person has money or that person is broke or that girl's ratchet or that dude's super awkward or even the way that we look at ourselves and judge ourselves. Like I'm not enough or my family is a mess or my parents are in the middle of a divorce. I think it's safe to say that so far of us in life, especially in high school, we've reached a point where we felt not enough in life. But I want to tell you tonight that all those feelings and all those sayings that I just said don't come from God. See, God looks at the heart. Man has talked about all those things on the outside. As we continue, we move forwards in the story. So one by one, Jesse's sons are walking up to Samuel. And remember, God is speaking to Samuel and then Samuel is speaking to the people. So one by one, each of Jesse's sons walks by Samuel and God says, nope. It's not going to be king. Nope, not going to be king. Nope, not going to be king. Eventually, Samuel gets frustrated and he says, are all your sons here? And Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest, which is David. That's right. I like crowd participation. But behold, he's just keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, we'll send for him, for we will not go, we will not sit down until he comes here. Are any of us in here tonight shepherds? Do we, do we herd sheep around? No? 
there was actually a student in middle school who raised his hand, and I went up to him afterwards. I was like, hey, man, I really didn't appreciate you, you making a joke like that. And he was like, no, we actually have, like, sheep and goats, and, like, I take care of them. And I was like, you are the man. But shepherding back in the day was an, was an everyday task given to somebody on the low end of the totem pole. And so this is the equivalent of an everyday job or an everyday chore that David was doing. What does this say about David? One of the most famous dudes in the country, Samuel, comes to his house, and David is nowhere to be found. Actually, the Bible says he's tending his sheep. David was working on his everyday task, which was nothing special about it. If David did have an Instagram, it would just be a bunch of pictures of sheep, and he'd get like five likes, whereas his brothers were like Instagram influencers, and they had all the likes. You tell me, if Drake or if Cardi B rolled up to your house or your side of the neighborhood, okay, if Cardi B rolls up to your house, you should run. That's what I would do. But you get what I'm saying. If anybody famous comes up to your side of town or at your school, you're telling me that you're going to continue doing your homework? You're telling me that you're going to continue doing your job or doing your chores and not go see who that famous person is? I know for me, I would stop what I was doing and go see what the buzz is about. But this is interesting. David was different. And we're going to find out more about that. But David was different. See, David's faithfulness in the little things, like tending sheep, is exactly what God is about to use in his very big victory. David's faithfulness in the little things is exactly what God is about to use in his very big victory. And I think you guys know where I'm going with this. Let's continue to read. So David finally walks in, all the way from the bullpen, all the way out there from the sheep. The youngest of his brothers and the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and dumped it all over his head in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Don't miss this, guys. David now isn't alone. It says the spirit of the Lord is now on David. So this is special. God is with him. God used the youngest kid, the one that everybody thought was doing the least significant thing. He wasn't even worth being brought inside by his dad when they asked where all of his sons were. Because while we look at people on the outside, God is looking for heart. See, people see your problems, but God sees your potential. I'll say that again so you can write it down. People see your problems. They see what's going on on the outside. But God sees your heart. God sees your potential. In here tonight, please don't think that your life is insignificant. I don't care what anybody has said to you. I don't care what adult has snobbed to you and been like, oh, you're just a student. You're just a high school kid. You can't do anything. You are significant, and what you're doing in life right now absolutely matters, and it matters to God. Whether that's dance, whether that is football practice, whether that is any sport you're doing, whatever it is, God is interested in it because you are in it, and he created you. God sees you. Don't miss that. God sees you. And that's here for anybody in here tonight or any of your friends who feel like nobody sees them. God sees you. And he's interested in you. This passage shows me that you can make a difference right now, right where you are. Don't wait till you're older. Everybody counted David out except for God. See, if, if you saw you from God's point of view, how would your life change? If you could see you from God's point of view right now, how differently would we live our lives? How much less would we stress about the daily little things? 
How much more joy would we have every time we woke up because we know who is actually in control? So part two, I said there was part one, but there's part two of the message. And in honor of Spicy Bricey, I want you to tell your neighbor this, okay? Part two is titled, Know Your Identity. So I want you to tell your neighbor, know your identity. Beautiful, thank you. Not long after our guy David is anointed to be king, the famous David and Goliath scene goes down. Israel was at war with these people called the Philistines. They were the ones with Goliath. You know, the dude that was like nine feet tall, about as tall as this truss right here, all right, compared to me. He was a mix of like LeBron James and who else? LeBron James, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and John Cena. Dun, 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 dun. He was a bad, <laughs> that's right, he was a bad cat. And he stands out on the battlefield every day, all right? So there's Israel's army up against the Philistine army, and they're not doing anything. And this big bad cat, Goliath, walks out in the middle, and he flexes all over Israel, okay? And he says some specific things. He makes fun of Israel's God. He makes fun of them. And he says this. Literally, if any of you can come over here and fight me and kill me, then all my Philistine warriors will be your servants. All you got to do is send one person out here to come and fight me. All right? But Israel didn't do anything. And to make this worse, Goliath didn't just do this once. Goliath Goliath did this every day for 40 days straight. Making fun of them, walking out on the battlefield, giving his spiel. It gets absolutely annoying. 1 Samuel 17, 11 says this. When Saul, remember the king that didn't honor God? When Saul and all Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. But can you blame them? When I was young, I was scared of a lot of things. Um, I was a scared little kid, and I want to get some stuff off my chest tonight. Um, okay, so I was, I was scared of three things. Number one was bald people. Listen, as a, I don't mean any offense, but as a child, I didn't understand. I didn't get it. It didn't make sense to me. It didn't connect. I didn't know that sometimes it's not a choice. And the irony is, is that one day I will most likely be bald, and then I will be afraid of myself. Hashtag deep. The second thing that I was afraid of, and you should be too, is the evil mouse called Chuck E. Cheese's. I... I was so scared of him. Every time I would drive in the car with my mom, I'd be in the back seat in my booster seat, and we would drive by Chuck E. Cheese's. I lived where there were a lot of Chuck E. Cheese's in Florida. Florida's a crazy place. And I would, we would be driving, and I would turn my booster seat this way over here, and I would close my eyes, and I would pray. That's when I knew God was real because he saved me from that evil mouse because I knew if I looked into his eyes up there on the building that he would kill me. But he never killed me, and I'm here today. The third thing that I was afraid of as a kid, thank you. Third thing I was afraid of as a kid, again with the hair, I don't get it. I really do apologize because I don't mean to be offensive, but I was afraid of men who had ponytails. I don't, <laughs> so when <laughs> I was little, I was at church with my grandma. My grandma always had me in church. She was a worship leader. I've been in church since I was a little dude. And the drummer that day, he was the ultimate evil man. He was the perfect mix. He was bald in the front, and he had a ponytail in the back. So you know that guy definitely wanted to kill me. And so I'm walking 
with my grandma after the service. And, of course, my grandma knows everybody in the band. And so he's walking past, right, bald guy with the ponytail, drummer guy with the sticks. And I, like, hide behind my grandma and behind her dress because I knew that if we locked eyes, he would take that drumstick and whack me with it like a little boy. But I stand here today unafraid of bald people, of Chuck E. Cheese, or men with ponytails. Can we get a clap for that? Thank you. It feels so good to get it off my chest. (laughs) But guys, in all seriousness, Israel didn't get unafraid of Goliath. They they never stuck up to the plate. They stood there for 40 days straight, staring straight into a giant's eyes, and he just makes fun of them, and they take it. And I'm not unaware. I I know that some of us in this room may feel like that tonight, that that we're living a life and we're looking straight into a giant that's in front of us, that's calling us out, that's making fun of us, and we feel powerless and we're not doing anything about it. But the story shifts. Things are going to change when David steps in. This is really cool. The story shifts when David gets a new job from his dad. See, David had been doing the whole shepherding thing, the sheep thing, but now his dad comes to David and he says, listen, I need you to now take care of the sheep, but then I also need you to go deliver food to your brothers. Remember all of his big, good-looking brothers? They are in the Israel army, and so they're standing on the battle lines, again, doing nothing, staring at Goliath all day. And so Jesse, his dad, says, I need you to go deliver food to them. We'll say it's pizza because I'm actually really hungry. My stomach is, like, growling at me right now but I would love some pizza. So now David is going back and forth, tending on the sheep by day, and then in the middle of the day, running over to his brothers on the battlefield and delivering them pizza. One day, the Bible says that Goliath was out there on the battlefield giving his whole Goliath spiel again, and everybody's doing nothing, and this is what the Bible says. So David is delivering pizza to his brothers, drops the pizza off, and goes to the battlefield to take a closer look. And this is what it says. As he talked with him, Goliath, behold, the champion, the Philistine Goliath, by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. The Bible chooses to include these words, and David heard him. Goliath had been doing his same thing over and over and over again, but it includes that David heard him. Why? What's the difference between David hearing him versus everybody else? It's because David is special. David isn't alone. And when David hears these words, things are going to change. See, with God, you can have chaos all around you and still have the confidence to move forwards. So David sees everybody being afraid of Goliath and complaining and not doing anything. And so David is different, and he says this to his Israel soldiers. He says, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? This is cool. He says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? What he says here is profound. David is the only person in the entire country who recognizes their true identity. David's the only one who calls their army by the true name, Israel, the army of the living God. David realizes that he's part of a bigger picture, that it's not just what's going on right now, but he belongs to the group that God delivered with Moses and with Joshua and with so many people hundreds of years ago. Because David 
isn't alone. And he knew that no enemy would ever be strong enough to stop God's people. See, David's identity is what leads to his victory. David's identity is what leads to his victory. And I believe tonight that our identity, when found in the right thing and the right person, is going to lead to our victory. God is with David. He knows that no matter how big the dude Goliath is, he's no match for God. And I believe tonight that God is just waiting on someone in here to realize their true identity in him. He's just waiting on someone to stand up and to stand out from everyone else and live as if God actually is who he says he is. That's the kind of confidence that we can have as a Christ follower. And this confidence that David had in God was so shocking to everybody. When you have that much confidence in God, it's gonna shake some things up. Soon everyone in Israel's army started talking about him. And eventually it made way all the way up to King Saul. So Saul hears about this. So David wants to go up to Saul. So he walks up to Saul full of swag and full of the spirit. Remember, the Bible said that the spirit was on him. The swaggy spirit. He walks up to Saul and says, hey, listen, I want in on the action. He goes, have, I, like, he says, have no fear, I'll go fight him. And this is really powerful. This is a powerful leadership thing that I want us to know. That David didn't wait till he was king to do the right thing. For us in here tonight, don't wait to be king to do the right thing. David had been told that he was going to be the king, but he wasn't yet. But he didn't wait around until someone put a crown on his head for David to start doing the right things that eventually was going to lead to an ultimate victory. And tonight, you don't need to wait until, oh, I'm just gonna wait until I'm in college to start following God, or I'm gonna wait until I'm married to start doing the right thing or whatever. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you're in. God is gonna honor you doing the right thing. I had... The habits that you build now are gonna go with you as you get older. And you've heard that a million times, but I wanna tell you now, I'm not much older than you in this room. And the same habits that I had in high school, by not, by not the grace of God, are the same habits that I have now. And so those foundations that I built in high school are the same ones that are with me now. I had a buddy in high school. We called him Hopper. And we played football together. Yeah, you probably know him. And uh, so we played football at Lexington. Shout out to Lexington. That's where my heart is. And he was a little bit younger than me, and so I was on varsity, and he was on the freshman team. But what was cool about Hopper was that he worked out, and he worked at football harder than any of the other varsity people. Even though Hopper wasn't playing and getting fame and recognition like all of us were on Friday nights, Hopper would stay late after practice and work out extra, practice catching more, and do more training and all that stuff. He worked as if he were a varsity player. And eventually, when Hopper got pulled up to varsity, he was one of the best people on the entire team because he had been working so hard in the beginning. Because he didn't wait to be on varsity to start practicing like a varsity player, but he practiced as a freshman. And so his next year, he's now breaking records and he goes to play college football and everything, all because he didn't wait on somebody to tell him that it was okay to start doing the right thing. And that's exactly the attitude that David has when he talks to Saul. And that's exactly the attitude that we need to have in our lives. So David goes to Saul again and he says, listen, I'll fight him. And Saul says, this ain't it, chief. You can't do it, man. All you do is shepherd. You just take care of sheep all day. You're a little dude. None of us, none of us, not even me can defeat Goliath. 
And remember how I said it was important that David was faithful with the small things like shepherding? Check this out. Verse 34 in chapter 17 says this. But David said to Saul, all right, this is his rebuttal. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, like you said. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I've struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God, again with the identity. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will definitely deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then David drops the mic. That's amazing. See, David's shepherding served a purpose. Now God reveals to us why him doing his everyday little activity was so important for when he's about to defeat this huge giant. Because his shepherding served a purpose. In this season that you're in right now, this season that I'm in right now, I don't know what's going on with my life. It may look like I might have some things together, but ultimately I'm at the will of God. I'm at God's mercy. I'm like, God, what are you doing? We're, we're all the same. This season that you're in right now, this season that I'm in right now is serving a purpose. So Saul, his jaws on the floor because David just absolutely roasts him in front of everybody. And all Saul can say is, the Bible says, is go and let the Lord be with you. But one more thing. Saul gives David what he thinks is best for him. And you probably remember this as a kid in the story. He tries to give David a bunch of armor. He tries to give David a bunch of stuff that all the other battles, like all the other warriors wore. But all the armor was way too big and David had never used that pretty shiny armor before. It didn't fit him. And see, the world wants to do its best to cover you the way Saul tried to cover David with comfort. The king's last logical resort was to put on that armor on David so that David might have a fighting chance, so that David might last in battle another 30 seconds with Goliath before he tore him apart. The world wants you to fit into it so bad, but the best it can offer you is some oversized, shiny armor. Like false security, money, popularity, comfort, a certain politician, and trusting in any man besides God. But see, David had armor much stronger than what the king tried to give him. And this is the whole point of everything. David's armor wasn't external. David's armor was internal. David's armor was faith. David's armor was faith. He knew that God was with him during his everyday battles, so he had the faith for this next one. When you have faith, you don't have to hide in your fake armor and walk around like everyone else. When you have faith, you can be yourself, the self that God made you to be, and know that he is with you and that you're not alone and that God has given you the tools. He's given you everything you need for what you're going through right now. If you needed more, he would give you more. David leaned into God every day out in the field with his sheep. And I wanna ask us, are we enjoying God in our everyday lives or only on Sundays or only when we're in a group of people? Are we leaning into God in our everyday moments? Because guess what? God is with you in those moments, whether you realize it or not. And he's given you everything you need to face what you're up against. I want to encourage you tonight, don't wait on everything in life to be perfect and lined up for you to take that step of faith, to leave that unhealthy relationship, 
to forgive that person or to try again at what you failed at. David didn't wait. He had seen God come through before, and he knew that this was just another chance for God to show off in his life. So David, like you've heard in the story, he decided to use the weapon that he used every day, the one that God had already prepared him for, the one he carried out with him in the field with with the sheep, which was a slingshot. So David left King Saul and all the armor on the ground. He grabbed his little slingshot, went over to a brook, and the Bible says he grabbed five smooth stones, put them in his pack, and headed up to Goliath. Now, this is insane. If you look at this on the outside, it's this little dude. Like, it's a dude my size up against a giant this big. There's no way on the outside that I would ever win. There's just no way. But David is not alone. So David gets in front of Goliath, and Goliath starts making fun of him, the same way he was making fun of Israel. He's saying, you're just a shepherd boy. You literally look like a stick. I'm about to break you. I'm, I'm saying it nicely. He's saying some terrible things. He thinks this is a big joke. It's too bad that Goliath only sees on the outside because David isn't alone, and he has no clue what's about to come to him. David, Goliath keeps trash-talking David, but David now has to set the record straight. He wants everyone on the battlefield and everyone in the world to know what he's about to do and why he's doing it and who he's doing it for. So David, like the great Bambino, he calls his shot. Like Babe Ruth does right before he's about to hit that home run, this is what David does. He says this in verse 45. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I don't know about you, but I like my head exactly where it is. And so you can tell that Goliath is pretty ticked off in this moment. But David doesn't even stop here. He says this, And I will give your dead body this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in heaven, and that he saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. See, it's not your fight. It's the Lord's. David knew his place in the battle. And while everyone else sat back in fear because they felt like they were alone, David had been with God in his everyday battles. So this wasn't anything new. So as you know how the story goes, David absolutely ticked the giant off and Goliath charged at him, ready to kill him. But the Bible says, David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. Just like that. Very anticlimactic. The giant is dead. So David runs over to the dead giant. He cuts his head off with the sword that was about to be used to kill him. He grabs the giant's ugly head and all the Philistines run away and retreat in fear. What's crazy is that Goliath went down with one stone to the head. It wasn't some long, drawn-out fight scene like you see in every good action movie where you try to kill the bad guy and then the bad guy gets back up and like in the moment that you don't see it, he's like behind him and he, yeah, this wasn't it. I wonder why it was such a quick ending. 
Could it be that God wasn't and isn't so concerned with Goliath? Could it be that the real problem in this story wasn't the giant, but it was God's people forgetting who they were and trying to fight their battles without him? All God wanted was someone to have faith and to be with him. David killing Goliath was to show God's people that God was still with them and for them to turn back to him, to be his kids again. All through, all through a young man who everybody else slept on. No one even noticed David except for God. David's faithfulness in the small things is exactly what God used in that big moment that we still talk about today. And so tonight as we close, I've got three questions for us and then I have an invitation. These are simple questions. Number one, what is holding you back from doing what God has called you to do? If you don't know your enemy, how are you gonna know how to fight it? What, is, what fear is holding you back from doing what God has called you to do? Number two, I wanna encourage you with, what are the little things in your life that you can do with God? What are the everyday things that you can do with God daily? And number three, who is your identity in? Is it in your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Is it in any other human besides God? I wanna encourage you tonight to find your identity in Christ. So as we close, I'm grabbing this stone. It's, it's kind of small, you probably can't see it too well, but it serves a point. After I pray, I wanna invite us to come up to the front and grab one of these stones. If you feel like you've been fighting your battles alone, whether you've lived a whole life without God or you feel like you've accepted Christ before, but you've been going through life as if God is nowhere to be found. If you're tired, if you feel anxious, if you're tired of fighting your battles alone, if you're tired of waking up and doing life alone, I wanna encourage you to come up here at the end after I pray and grab one of these stones. So let's, let's stand, let's stand together. If that's you tonight, whether you've never asked God into your heart before, or you feel like you've been following, but you just feel like you've, you've fallen off track, I, don't, I wanna encourage you to grab one of these stones. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and for your stories that you've written. That your story of David and Goliath ultimately points to the story of Jesus defeating the biggest giant of them all, which is sin. And that was our sin that we brought on, but you took it for us. You died for our sin on the cross, but you rose again three days later, defeating it, giving us unlimited access and resource to you, Father God. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your gospel. And I pray that as we sing this next song, that we would come up here and that we would grab a stone and we would be reminded that you are with us in the little things that you can take something so small like this stone and defeat the biggest giant. 
we thank you for your love, your reckless love that comes after us. As we continue worshiping, let's come up here and grab a stone. Amen.